pastors here. We are starting a new sermon series today. And um, as we do that, I wanted to talk a little bit about this building. When we, We've been in this building for just over a year. Last year in June, we opened up this building. It was a year-long renovation project. And uh, it was a year-long renovation project, but probably about a five-year process for us to um, negotiate with this building, to save up some money, to find a lender who would lend it to us. And really, the previous owner was the biggest roadblock. But I remember a few times early on, like years before we actually bought it, we had some people come in and we got permission to uh, come in and tour the building and look around. Because one of the things when you're buying a building that's 140 years old is you think, well, it looks cool, but what's really going on, right? Is this thing going to stay standing? And I would, I'd always say, well, it's been standing for 140, so it's probably got a few more left in it. Um, but we would come in, and I remember the first time we had an engineer along with a friend of ours who's a contractor come look at it. And he was looking around. He's like, oh, this looks good. In the basement, he well, this looks good. Someone did some work here. And we were like, yes. And then he came into this room right here, and he looked up at the ceiling. And this is going to be a bad thing for any preacher to do because from now on, you're going to be looking up at the ceiling this morning. But if you look up, you'll notice that the, you know, it kind of has a little bow to it like this. There's a little, little shape to it. And I just thought, that's a cool design. Very modern. <laughs> and the engineer came in and said, oh, well, that means something's going on up above. There's an, an attic up above here, and that means something's going on with the ceiling joists. And we better take a look at that. And Christy and I went, oh, that's probably not a big deal. We should buy this building. That's where my optimism turned, went south, right? I'm like, oh, this whole thing's going to fall down. Um, so the engineer, we went up to the little crawl space there and looked around, and the ceiling joists, what was happening is the ceiling joists were starting to separate a little bit. And he's like, oh, well, that's no good. And to the, He's like, well, that's why, uh, that's why the, the ceiling is bowing like that, because the ceiling joists are starting to separate and, and not be able to hold everything up. And, and he said a phrase, well, he said a couple things, first of which was, I'm actually not very comfortable being in this building right now. I remember him saying that, and I'm like, oh, so we should buy it then. And then he said, there's, a, there's a, something with the ceiling. There was a word he described with the ceiling joists. He said, there's a problem with the, the ceiling joists. Can you guess what that word is? Integrity. Hey, it was easy. You had the answer on the screen. The, the integrity of these joists is not right. They were starting to separate, and, and so that's going to take some work. And he said, what's going to happen is if the, if the integrity of these joists fails more, it's going to put pressure on other parts of the building that were not meant to handle that pressure because the ceiling joists aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, and that added pressure is going to cause something to give way eventually. And, and it had started to give way on the ceiling, and now you can look, and, and there's still that bow there. And so the ceiling joists were having an issue, and he said, we've got to get that fixed or this whole thing could, could come in. Um, so that's how we're starting our series today, all to say we hope someday to fix those ceiling joists. <laughs> so we're going to pass the offering plate for our ceiling joists. No, we fixed those right away. And what we did was we went up there and there was plates and bolts and all the joints that were starting to give way. We fastened those up and the engineer came in and said, we got to do this, we got to do this, because now there is not a problem with the integrity of the ceiling joists, right? We're happy, you, you can rest assured, we are gonna make it today through church. Um, when you hear the word integrity, you might not think ceiling joists or you might not think building structures, but that's certainly a part of it. Um, we remember all those years ago when the 35W bridge collapsed, that very, very tragic day in Minneapolis, what well, was part of it that the integrity of the structure, part of it gave way, which put pressure on the rest of it, which couldn't handle that and the whole thing came down. 
When you think of integrity, though, sometimes you think of something more personal, like someone who is moral or honest. If you think of a person of integrity, you would think, well, someone who tells the truth or is honest does the right thing, and that's part of it. Um, other definitions, which would I was looking it up this week, which would apply more to structures, would be a definition of integrity is where there is no corruption. Uh, there's a lack of corruption or um, it's, it's sound, it's solid, it's dependable, like our ceiling joists now. Um, that is a definition of integrity. Another definition was the state of being whole or undivided, unimpaired. All of these things factor into being a person of integrity. And that's what we're going to look at in this series. We're going to look at a few stories in Scripture about people in Scripture who had integrity or maybe lost integrity and tried to get it back with the, with the idea of this. We're going to look at this and how can we be people of integrity and really the best way or the simplest way to sum this up is a person of integrity is someone who does the right thing. Someone who does the right thing. And we love this in other people. If you have ever lost your wallet or your purse, what are you thinking? You're thinking, I hope the person who finds this has integrity. Right? I hope they give it back without taking all the stuff out. Right? I hope they at least give it back. And when someone returns your wallet with all the credit cards and all the cash, everything's still in there, you're like, we're almost amazed when that happens, right? Wow, that person had integrity. Look at that. I remember our oldest daughter, Lucy, one night called and she said, Dad, I, I got bad news. I, it was late at night. She was leaving work. She was leaving work late in the dark street and she backed into the car in front of her. She's like, I'm sorry, I didn't see it. And I was, you know, and she's a good driver. Um, but it was one of those things, like, I, it put a dent in the fender, and, and uh, so, and I said, well, what'd you do? She said, well, I left my name and, and my number there, and, and uh, you know, for me, there was a moment where I'm like, am I happy she did that? <laughs> like, we, she could have just drove away. I've had people hit my car and just drive away, but um, eventually the owner of the car called me up and said, yeah, sorry about this and this and this, and, and, uh, and so I explained the situation. It was my daughter, and his first response was, wow, well, kudos to Lucy for doing the right thing. Like, because a lot of people wouldn't do that. And I was very proud as a dad there, even though there was an insurance claim on the way, but I would much rather have a daughter of integrity than, than lower insurance rates, right? We are, no, I, that pause was to see where I was at in my notes. Not indecision about that. Listen, I got like, well, we got five drivers in the house now. Our insurance rates are through the roof, so that's fine. Um, people who put themselves, we would see this on the news, put themselves in harm's way for the benefit of others. When it could cost, their integrity is to do the right thing, even though it might cost them something, even though it might be a dangerous situation. Obviously, this weekend, we are remembering the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and one of the stories that stands out every year when we remember 9-11 is the people who went into that building, the first responders who went into that building to do the right thing, even though it ultimately cost them their lives. These are examples of integrity, and we love this in other people. We expect people to be honest with us when they're dealing with us. We love it when people do the right thing. But here's what I want to do in this series. I want us to look at ourselves and look at the level of integrity in our lives. How much do we value integrity? How much do we value that when we do the right thing, it doesn't matter if we get noticed or if it doesn't matter if it goes, you know, the good way. Sometimes it costs us something. We, we love to maintain the appearance of integrity. Our whole world, social media, everything is just the appearance of doing the right thing. But when it comes down to it, integrity is doing the right thing when nobody sees it. 
That's when our integrity is put to the test, when nobody is watching. And ultimately, what we're going to discover in this series and the theme throughout is we know that as Jesus followers, our ultimate audience is to please God, to follow Jesus, to do. And we know he's always watching. He's always there. So we always have an audience with the one who is the one who we are trying to please and honor with our life. So we think that no one's watching, but the one we are worshiping and serving is always seeing. And so it ultimately comes down to we do the right thing. Even though we don't think other people are watching, we do the right thing to be people of integrity because we know that is the right thing to do. That is the thing that honors God. That is the thing that ultimately is going to benefit us and benefit the people around us. When no one is watching, when it could cost us something, and we all know the ramifications of living with a lack of integrity. And maybe you've gotten yourself into situations where the moment the decision came and you said, well, I can do what's honest, I can do what's right, or I can do what's easy, I can do what's going to be of benefit to me, I can do it what's going to be the, the least cost to me. And we all know the ramifications of living with a life that's lacking integrity. We've seen it in other people. When other people live with a lack of integrity, we see it. Like the ceiling joists that I just talked about that we had to repair because without it, it was going to put pressure on the rest of the structure, and the whole thing was going to start to fall. There are times where someone else's lack of integrity has had a great impact for the negative on your life, and you didn't do anything. But it was someone who had a lack of integrity, and what that did, similar to the ceiling joists, is because their integrity gave way, it put pressure on everyone around you. Maybe it's a family situation where the lack of integrity for mom or dad puts pressure on the rest of the family. Things begin to fall apart. You feel that extra pressure. There's an anchor verse for this series that we're going to refer to every week. It's from Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3. And it says this. It'll be up on the screen. The integrity of the upright guides them. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Interesting, duplicity is the opposite of integrity. Double-minded, not consistent wishy-washy for another way to put it, right? Flip-flopping. Integrity of the upright guides them. So we're going to look in this series over the next few weeks, stories in scripture of people in the Bible that lived with integrity. Stories in scripture of people that what happened to them when their integrity failed and their world fell apart. And ultimately what to do when we lose it, how we can get it back, how to move forward. So today, the first story that we're going to look at is in the book of Daniel. And maybe you are like me, when you start thinking of integrity or standing up or doing what's right, even when it might cost you, my mind usually goes to the book of Daniel. There's a lot of great stories in the book of Daniel. But there's really one verse that I want to look at today. It's right at the beginning of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And it's one verse that is um, really kind of going to be really what we talk about today. And this goes on, but this happens way before all the other stories in the book of Daniel that we know, Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace and all these things. Right at the start of the story, there's a verse in chapter one of Daniel. Now a little bit of backstory of what's going on here. So in the Old Testament times, there was the nation of Israel. And for generations, they had kings, king after king after king, and they would try to serve God, but then they would live in rebellion, and God would say, you've got to shape up or there's going to be disaster coming. And ultimately what happens, and the setting of the book of Daniel is in this season of exile, where God allows the nation of Babylon or the empire of Babylon to come in and conquer Israel, conquer Jerusalem, destroy the city walls, destroy the temple. Now, 
What happens then a lot of times in this day and age is an empire would come in and wipe people out and they'd leave most of the people there just to fend for themselves. But they would bring, you know, and if you read the story, they brought all the, like, the treasures from the temple and they brought it back to Babylon to be in their temple for their God. Um, and then they brought a lot of the people of Israel and some of the best and the brightest they would bring as exiles into their empire. Now, there was a group of people, they would look, the Babylonians would look and say, give us the best and the brightest, the young men who are the strongest or the sharpest. We're going to bring them in, and we're going to put them in the king's court or the king's house. Um, and they are going to be trained, and they're going to learn how to serve in the king's court. So this is the story, and Daniel is one of these People. They take the best and the brightest to learn and to train and to serve in the king's court. So there's going to be a season of Daniel, and there was three other people that it mentions. The, there was Daniel, there was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, we know them by their Babylonian names because they changed their names. The nation of Babylon changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are four of the people, there was more than that, that are brought into the king's court and say, you are going to serve and train in the king's court. And as a result, you will have a place to live, you will have daily food. Now, not just any food, but the king's food, the best of the food. And this was a big deal. This was the best of the best. So if you're Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're thinking you have lucked out. Now, ultimately, it's tragic that your nation got conquered, yes. But because of all the Israelites being conquered, of all the Israelites, you got the sweetest deal. You have a place to live, and you have food to eat every day. That alone is better than most of the Israelites, who were pretty much either left in Jerusalem or the surrounding areas to starve, or even the people in the Babylonian Empire. Food was not abundant. Food shortages, starvation, famine was rampant. So this is a sweet deal for Daniel and his friends. And this is where the verse comes in at the beginning of this journey in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. It says this, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. I love that word resolved. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So all the food and drink that was available to him, he said, nope, I am not going to defile myself in this. That word resolved, another way of putting it would be to set in place or to set your heart on something. So I have that here. So other translations would be Daniel set in place or set his heart or determined in his heart to do this. He set it in place. And that phrase comes from two Hebrew words. Set would be to put in place, to establish. The story of uh, the creation in the Garden of Eden, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, it's that same word. God set them there. He put them there. Um, it would be like when you set the table, you put things on the table, as opposed to when one of your teenage children say they will set the table. You're not sure if anything's ever going to get on the table, right? Have you been there? Yeah, there's, there's a difference between, yeah, mom and dad, I will, I will set the table. I will try to set the table. I hope to set the table. There's a difference to that and actually putting the things on the table. This is what that word means, to put in place. You are establishing it with firm determination. And then heart is a word that they would use to describe everything on the inside of you, your inner person, your soul, and your will. So when Daniel says, I have resolved to not defile myself. 
He is making a decision, and that's it. It's like he's decided, he has set this in place, that he is going to be a man of integrity, that he is going to be a man of integrity. It's not if he feels like it. It's not, well, depending on what the circumstance is, it is resolved. It is set. It is established. He resolved to not defile himself by eating the royal food and drink. Now, another thing interesting here, I read that and I think, well, what's the big deal? It's food and it's drink. You need food. You need to drink stuff. You get the best of the best. Why would he see this as like a defilement? Well, first of all, as a Jewish person or as a a person of the nation of Israel, they would know that God had law. there There was laws of God about what food was appropriate to eat and what food was not appropriate to eat. So there were some of these things in the king of Babylon's court that were in violation of what God had told them. But another thing that's really significant here is anytime in the Bible you're reading about a a table or a meal or food, it's way more than just eating. It is significant in that this food that was offered to Daniel and his friends from the Babylonian Empire would be almost like expressing loyalty to the Babylonian Empire. In the same way that when we sit down, most of us will say a prayer to bless our food, we say, God, we, we acknowledge, God, you have provided this food for us, and we are thankful for you providing it for us. Well, Babylon had a whole different set of gods, and they would do the same thing. They would say, God of Babylon, whatever his name was, we thank you for providing this food. So Daniel, for accepting this food, was almost like expressing loyalty not only to the nation of Babylon, but also loyalty to their God. Because if your nation conquered another nation, there was this understanding that your God was better than their God, and that's why you won. So there's a whole lot going on here with Daniel refusing the royal food from the king's court. And he decided in that moment he would not compromise his integrity. And he asked his supervisor to say, just give us water and vegetables. It's actually where we get the Daniel fast. If you ever heard of the Daniel fast where at the start of the year, every church says we're going to fast, and then some people are like, I ain't doing that. Maybe I'll do a Daniel fast, and I don't want just vegetables. Maybe I'll just get rid of sugar. I don't want to do that. Maybe I'll just get rid of social media. That's too hard, too. Maybe I'll just stay off of Facebook for an hour in the afternoon and call that a fast. This is Daniel saying we're going to just do fruit or just fruits, vegetables, and water. And the, and the supervisor says, we can't do that. The king will be mad at me if all of a sudden you guys aren't strong and, and you guys aren't healthy. But what God does is bless that decision and causes them to be stronger. God prospers them in that decision to be people of integrity. Daniel's decision was to be a man of integrity, to be one that was not compromised. And he had decided. I love that he just decided. We know how the rest of the story goes for Daniel, right? We, we can read the rest of the story this afternoon if we want. We know what's coming. We know that there's going to be opposition. We know that he's going to be faced with a decision of don't pray to your God or you're going to get thrown in the lion's den. I imagine in that moment, if you're deciding whether or not to have integrity, there's probably a lot more stress in that decision. I love that at the start of his journey, he said, I am resolved to have integrity integrity and to do the right thing and his decision for this integrity was the foundation for his life and you read this story and God used his life for God's glory and purposes huge benefit to the nation of Israel Daniel ends up being one of the most you know one of the advisors to the whole kingdom for the whole time they are in exile for about 70 years Daniel is in this position of influence 
where God is using him and prospering him for his integrity to benefit the people of Israel. We all know the benefits when we have people in leadership who have integrity. We all know the benefits where it's a teacher or a parent or someone in the government or any other position of authority when someone has integrity. It benefits way more than the person. In the same way a, a, a lack of integrity puts pressure on everyone around you, a life of integrity is going to be a benefit to way more than you. It is going to benefit the world around you. And this decision for Daniel, like I said, started with something small. It started with something small, food and drink. It didn't start when he was on the edge of the lion's den. It started with something small. Our integrity starts now with a decision to do it with the small things. It starts with the small things that are sometimes easy to kind of, you know, go wishy-washy with our integrity. The little things. Ah, no, it's not a big deal. This little compromise, it's not a big deal. Well, I said I was going to follow after God, but this is something different. I can stretch the truth a little bit here. I can fudge the numbers a little bit here. Consistent integrity, and this will be on the screen here, consistent integrity in the small things leads to resolute integrity in the bigger things. It does not change when the stakes are higher. It does not change when the circumstances are more difficult. It is a decision. I'm going to do what's right, even if no one sees it, in the small things and the big things, even if it costs me. I love Daniel's integrity. It didn't waver when he was doing the thing with the food or the drink or being honest to his authority or when it was standing on the edge of the lion's den. He had said, I've already decided. I'm going to be a person of integrity. I'm going to do what's right. The moment standing on the edge of the lion's den, or in our world, the moment of big temptation or big moment of deciding to be with it, uh, live a life of integrity, that's not the time to decide if you're going to have integrity. The time to decide is right now when the stakes aren't high. I was, um, trying to illust- I was thinking of an illustration of this. I was playing a round of golf yesterday. Now, I can be a decent golfer, but here's the thing. If you've played golf, there's a lot of times where I think, could be good at this, but what is going on? And I'll think, well, every time I hit the ball today, it's going off to the right or whatever, so I'll start, I'm standing on the tee, and then I'm thinking, well, I should maybe do this with my hands. Or, and then I'm, by, the, by the third hole, I've got all these things running through my mind, of, and I'm standing there thinking, I, it's like I've never swung a golf club before in my life. The moment for me to try to fix the things with my golf swing is not standing on the first tee with all the people watching. It's when I'm on the practice range. If I would go to the practice range and just practice these things, repeat these things in the small things when the stakes aren't all that high, and I don't play high-stakes golf, really. I'm not, I'm not on the pro tour or anything like that. The moment is on the driving range where I work out these things, and then when it comes time to actually put it into action, it's almost like muscle memory. I can just trust it. Because I've done the work when it wasn't that important. And now I can just trust it. You'd think I would learn that after about 30 years of playing golf. But the comparison is this. Practice integrity. Decide to have a life of integrity now. Do it now. Do it consistently now so that when it comes time for the temptation, you're not deciding then. You're just simply putting into action what you have decided long ago. To honor God, to do the right thing. Our son Charlie took Taekwondo lessons. He was in Taekwondo for a few years, a few years ago. And I remember early on, I mean, they said this phrase all the time. They would practice their things. Their, you know, obviously I didn't take Taekwondo. Their punches and their kicks, and they would do all these things. And, and they would encourage them to practice it the right way. Practice it the right way. 
And the instructor would say, because practice makes, and everyone would say, perfect. And he'd say, no, practice does not make perfect. Practice makes habits. Practice makes habits. Because you can practice something the wrong way, and it'll become a habit. So practice it the right way so you'll learn it the right way because that will become a habit. Integrity is the same way. So today, the lesson is simple. That's the story of Daniel. Establish a life of integrity. Decide right now when the stakes aren't all that high. I'm going to live with integrity. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to be resolute and determined. Like I imagine a ship carving its way through wind and waves that are beating against it, but it is determined to keep moving forward, pushing against the voices and all the modern wisdom and all the popular opinions in our world and the views of the culture around us. We are not swayed by these things. As people of God, we say, God, I am determined to live with integrity, to do the God-honoring thing no matter what. And your life will be like a firm bridge or awesome ceiling joists or some structure. That's the picture behind this, this graphic here is a big steel bridge that is firm and strong and established. It's handling the pressure load. This can be your life, dependable. When people come up, you've all, you know, we've gone over bridges sometimes. You're like, yeah, this looks strong. And there's other bridges where you're like, I don't know about that. But your life can be one that is strong and established and dependable, able to handle the pressure able to handle the pressure, taking pressure off of other people because you are living with a life of integrity. Now, just like Daniel, everyone in here, we don't know how your story is going to be written out. We don't know how it's going to play out. You're in chapter 1, verse 8 of your story right here where you can decide to live a life of integrity. And you have no idea how God is going to use that. You have no idea what temptations are going to come your way where you are going to say, sure, this is a temptation to do the wrong thing, but I've already decided I'm going to do the right thing. Sure, this temptation could benefit me, and if I, if I choose to have integrity, it's going to cost me, but it doesn't matter. I've already decided to honor God with my integrity, to do the right thing no matter what. And there's going to come a time when the heat is turned up. It might not be lions or fiery furnaces, but there's going to come a time where your integrity will cost you. And that's a great moment of faith building in discipleship when your integrity to follow Jesus will cost you something. And that's when you know you're going to have it, right? It's easy to say, I'm going to live a life of integrity now. But when it is furnace time or whatever it is time, that's when you know if your integrity has it. I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they're about to go into the fiery furnace. They say, well, I know that our God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, and we go into this fiery furnace, I'm still not going to bow down. I'm still going to live a life of integrity. This is when we know we have it. So decide now, and then practice it now, and then when the temptation comes, you're going to say, well, no, I've already decided. It's already been set in place. It's our decisions made. I'm going to live with integrity. Now, this could cost you money at tax time. When it's like, oh, if I just change this number a bit, I might get a bigger tax return, right? This is a life of integrity. It could cost uh, a promotion or job loss where maybe you're in a work environment where the people without integrity who are putting people down or, or cheating a little bit are climbing the ladder and they're the ones getting promoted and you're thinking, I'm trying to live with integrity and everyone's getting promoted around me. And if I would, if I would forfeit my integrity and play the game a little bit, I could get a better job with better pay. That's when it could cost you. 
students, it could cost you where it's like, I could certainly cheat on this exam and get an A. And uh, my integrity did not lead me to study very much, so I know I might fail this test without it. That's when it could cost you. But you say, I've decided to live a life of integrity. I'm not going to cheat my way through it. I'm going to honor God. Now, money at tax time or a promotion or it might cost you a friendship or a relationship or something like that. Any of these things, are any of these things worth trading your future influence for, your integrity for? Like Daniel, you see how God used his integrity in the years to come. Are any of these things that we face worth forfeiting our integrity? No. But yet we do it over and over. People do it over and over. Next week's message is someone who traded their entire future for something that seemed good in the moment. We don't want to trade our integrity for anything. When you do that, you become... Like that word duplicity, you become double-minded, you become unstable, like that rickety, wobbly bridge that makes everybody feel uneasy. That's a life of, uh, without integrity. Can't be counted on. It could cave in at any moment. And when your integrity fails, man, it just adds pressure to everyone else. When your integrity fails, the whole thing starts to fail. The whole thing starts coming around. So today, as we wrap up, it's going to be this. It's a decision. Decide. Decide today. Am I going to be a person of integrity? This is what God is calling. This is what God is asking. Just trust me. Follow me. Do what's right and follow me. Be a person of integrity. The, 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 the integrity of the upright will guide them. When you're walking through and you're not sure exactly what to do next, God, Lord, give me direction. Give me guidance. Well, it's what does the life of integrity say? What's the right thing to do? What's the God-honoring thing to do? And we move forward, and we learn, and we put that into practice, a life of integrity. So today, just decide. Just decide. We're going to pray in a moment. And I felt like I needed to add this. I know in our current culture, in our current climate, a message like this can so easily be swayed to people on any different side of a political or social argument, vaccine, not vaccine, mask, not mask, red states, blue states, all of these things that are divisive. What happens when you hear a message like this is whatever side you're on, you think, that's right. Our side is the side with integrity. Yes, that's right. We're going to stand up for integrity no matter what. That's not what this message is about today. That's not what this message is about. This message is not about masks and vaccines and elections and anything else that's dividing our culture right now. What this message is about is no matter where you are, no matter what your stance is, no matter who you vote for, we need people in all avenues of life, in every political party, in all the medical fields, in all the government offices. We need people of integrity. Now, they may believe differently than you, but we walk through this as people of integrity, as the integrity of the ceiling joists benefits the whole building. Your integrity will benefit the world around you. We need more people, no matter what your social views are in anything, is I'm going to be a person of integrity. I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to follow God and honor him. And it might look different how you walk that out, but all of us can decide today we're going to be people of integrity. We're going to do what is right. We're going to do what God leads us to do. The world gets better when your integrity shines through. Amen? This was what benefits our world. Let's pray together. Thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for these stories in Scripture where we see you moving in the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the ones who were put in difficult circumstances, 
But from the very beginning, they had resolved, no matter what comes our way, we are going to live with integrity, live with faith, live with devotion to our God, no matter what it costs, if nobody sees it, whatever it takes, God, we are going to live with integrity. So Lord, I pray that you would do that work in us. Whatever our world looks like this week, whatever workplace environment we are going into, whatever opposition we are facing, whatever family situations are going on or school situation we're walking into, we resolve right now that we will not defile ourselves with the temptations of the world, but we will live with integrity. We will honor you. We make that decision today. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives, that you continue to guide us and lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.